where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Welcome in, folks. It's Sean Zock from St. Andrews and Dylan DeChair from St. Andrews. Sitting across from each other in our four-bedroom student housing house here on Aldburn Park Road. In the old grade tune, we're here for the Open Championship. Some of you call it the British Open. Dylan, how are you doing? Sean, I'm doing really, really well, and I would just like to say um, thank you for the warm welcome you've extended uh, to me and and the rest of my media peers mm-hmm. uh, to your place of residence. This is my hometown. I've gotten way too much enjoyment out of saying welcome to my hometown to frankly, the entire media center that is is oozing with jealousy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm getting that a lot. Sean, there's something funny that's happened to our, uh, our media compatriots with major championship schedules. And this is partly a Tiger Woods thing, but it feels like a major championship week has now extended all the way mm-hmm. back to, uh, I mean, it, the, the creep prior. had already happened all the way to like, oh man, you should really, you should feel like you have to be there on site on Monday. You don't want to miss anything. Then there was a little bit of Sunday. This time around, Saturday, Tiger oh. Woods and Justin Thomas were playing in a super cool scene. Phil Mickelson's been here since Thursday. <laughs> Um, I've been here since June 1st. Yeah, (laughs) that actually is the ultimate creep. Um, But Sean, it's good to be here. Uh, I do want to say quickly, it's great to be here wearing such fresh gear from Radmore Golf, our presenting sponsor, uh, the folks that make this wonderful show possible, Mm -hmm. and uh, the folks responsible for making the most stylish and also most sustainable line of clothing in the golf game. One thing we're going to get to is the fact that I caddied in the Scottish Open this past weekend and what happened during the first round of the Scottish Open. Sepp Straka's caddy, Andy, walked over to me and he said, those pants you're wearing, what what brand is that? Wow. And I said, oh, they're they're Radmore, R-A-D-M-O-R. And he said, gosh, they look good on you. Wow. I was like, my guy, thank you for the compliment. But really, it's just a compliment for the pants. And gosh, if you listen to this podcast... You already know it. You've heard me talk about Hopefully the Hopefully you've already done it. Hopefully you've gone to radmoregolf.com and used code DROPZONE to get yourself 25% off at checkout. But if you hadn't, that's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com, radmoregolf.com. Sean, what do we got on the agenda? What do you want to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about caddying in the Scottish Open. We're going to talk about the old course. We're going to talk about your first feelings, your first day in town here in St. Andrews. Uh, we're going to talk about Tiger and Lee Trevino, what you learned today. Yeah. And then really late for the hardcore drop zone listeners, we're going to give an update on the quarter three earnings and quarter four buy and sell of oh, the stocks. Baby. There's PJ some churn, <laughs> Sean. Gas prices have people... On the move. Well, I'll give a little bit of a, a tip to any of our American listeners. If you think gas prices are bad in America, they are, are truly twice as bad here mm. in the UK. Literally they measure in liters? E- equating to about $9 a gallon. Holy cow. <laughs> I know. It's nuts. Um, Sean, you were caddying in Her Majesty's Scottish Open last weekend. Um you set the stage a little bit for this last week, but mm-hmm. 
Joel Damon needed a fill-in caddy. He was coming over for uh, one tournament, and unless mm. you guys finished in the top 10. Top three. Yeah, top three. Well, top three non-qualified finishers, not mm-hmm. already in the top 10. Then he was not going to stay around for the Open Championship, but instead go on vacation. Mm-hmm. Sean, what happened? Tell us about your week. Oh, man. I had I truly had so much fun. Might have been the best work week of my life. Probably not. Yeah, I've probably had some fun work weeks with you, but this was up there. Um, for one, if you could choose a like a non-top 30 player in the world to caddy for, it's got to be Joel Damon. He might be top of the list. He's just so chill, and um, he's not needy. He doesn't, he doesn't grind out there in the practice range. He shows up with his golf bag and he says, all right, you know, let's go play nine holes. <laughs> let's hit a couple balls on the range, hit a couple putts, um, which makes my job easy. I got numbers for him, like yardages. That was probably my biggest role for the week. Um, by the end of the week, I was kind of helping read some of the putts, not all of the putts, some putts he just didn't really care to hear my view on them, but others he kind of pulled me in. He said, what do you think? Does this thing break left in the, on the back half of it? Mm. And I, I do think I'm a good green reader. Um, ultimately, it led in a missed cut. It would be my sixth missed cut as caddy if we include your four local qualifying appearances, Martin Trainers 2020. Eh, I don't think we include the <laughs> local qualifiers. That's not even really a cut situation. That's okay. just a... What's That's your a, PGA Tour record? 0 for 2. 0 for 2. Um, this one was closer. Uh, we shot 76 on Thursday. And... Um, I guess my, my, my huge takeaway is not going to surprise everybody, but caddying for trainer in the 3M open 2020, you're playing in humid conditions, soft TPC twin cities, golf course, middle of July in Minneapolis and the ball hits the green and it stays there or it spins back. It's so controllable. Yeah middle of july or beginning of july in scotland 20 to 30 mile per hour winds the firmest conditions i've probably walked on short of you know the old course or carnoustie or an open championship uh it's it's so hard to control your golf ball you are worried about pitching it onto the green and sending it off the green you're you're worried about the kicks you get from the fairway you're worried about if this driver is going to roll out to 400 yards into a bunker that you never even thought about. And those are legitimate things that, that I guess Joel and I dealt with all week. And it was such a fun challenge. Like it takes like all of your, um, I guess, creative mind for him. And then all of my like concern and worry about different parts of this wild, like chessboard <laughs> that we're playing to, get in position for pars and like maybe have a 15 foot birdie try. So ultimately we didn't make the cut, but we had to shoot one under in the last 12 holes to do it. And we shot one over. So we, we had a breath of, of a chance there and it just didn't work out. Oh yeah. No, it was fun to track. You guys definitely made some noise on day two. Uh, day one was, was clearly the, the issue. Maybe you guys, needed one warm-up competitive round have. together yeah who knows but yeah coming from the like the slightly better side of the wave there were just a couple big numbers that added up a mm-hmm. little too quickly fun to watch the scores pile up though like thursday afternoon we've got our 76 out of the way and i just started watching data golf's 
cut line prediction. And I was like, well, it's getting closer and closer to what we put up there. Um, I wrote about it uh, really just one time. I wrote about what why caddying is so damn hard in those conditions. And a number of caddies the next day were like, hey, man, nice article. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for telling people how damn hard our job is. Um, I made a couple mistakes. Oh, I was going to ask you about regrets. So you're yep. leading yourself right there. Sure. So one regret that I think cost us one stroke, I wrote about this, is just that before the first hole, Joel walks over to me with Miko Kohornan's scorecard. And mm-hmm. he hands it to me and he says, you lose. <laughs> Meaning just like, this is your job to keep track yeah. of. And I didn't know if that meant please fill in all these scores as they happen or you just have to hold on to the scorecard. And it, I think it meant keep track of the scores. Write down the scores, please. <laughs> and so we did not discuss the scorecard until we were 17 and a half holes into the round. We're walking up to the 18th. Joel has a pitch from the short right side of the green. And he says, hey, are, are you keeping track of Miko's score? <laughs> no way. And I said, No. <laughs> no, nope. as there, a matter of fact, there are zero scores on this scorecard. And he looked at me a bit wide eyed and was like, crap. <laughs> and I said, that's on me. Um, let's go through them. And I barely helped in about 30 seconds. Joel had all the <laughs> scores down, um, proved how hyper aware he is. And then was this still all before he had hit his chip shot? Yeah. Damn. And so the reason that's a huge regret is not because of the mistake I made as much as I think it led us to rushing through the chip. Um, it's a short sided chip, I guess, to where the green runs away from you and he hit it a little too firm. He doesn't regret the first shot. He regrets the second shot, which would be putting up the hole, uh, putting up the other side and then missing his bogey putt. We made double there. Would have loved to have that stroke back as we were trying to make the cut. The other mistake. Yeah, what uh, what's your other regret here? <laughs> what's eating at you? The other mistake is it didn't really eat at it. It didn't really hurt us. But um, with two holes to play, we needed to shoot two under. Mm-hmm. And it was like eight's a really hard hole and nine's a pretty hard hole. And Joel pipes this amazing drive on eight. Low seed bullet hammering right into the fairway, really firm. It's going to roll up out of good ways. And... We start walking up the fairway, maybe a hundred yards, and we're looking for his ball. And we don't see it anywhere. <laughs> and he looks at me. He's like, "Wait, is, was eight up a tee?" <laughs> oh no! <laughs> we look back and we see that the standards that surround the tee had been moved up from where we hit it the day prior. We were indeed up twenty-four yards compared to our notes. Shoot! We figured there's no way you could hit through this fairway. Of course, we did hit through the fairway. Found his ball in a good lie between bunkers, but yeah. that like the kind of mistake. That if we were on the cut line and he hit into a bunker, it would really hurt. It would really hurt. Man. But that's a shared mistake. Like he said, like we both should have known, um, both should have probably communicated it. I guess that does get to the point though of um, how potentially tense these sorts of relationships yeah. can be because the margins are so thin. And I do feel like as a caddy, your job is to make zero mistakes. Zero. If you misread a putt and you think it's just outside right and it's actually right edge or something, that is that's one thing because you're that's not an exact science. It's a lot of its feel, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to like 
administrative work, when it comes to like showing up, working hard, etc. There's not a whole lot of leeway for a caddy if you screw up. No. And, you know, sometimes there are moments of dumb chance that make your screw ups look way worse. Like, you know, if, if Joel catches his drive a little higher on the face, we don't even have yeah. that conversation. We don't even think about it. We probably don't even realize that we were wrong, but he absolutely peers it. And at, pros are just like us. When you hit what you think is a perfect shot, you don't want to be penalized for right. it. So um, all in all, though, like such a fun week, met and talked to players I had not talked to before. You know, there's just this mm-hmm. bubble that you get to to jump into for the week where guys are a little more comfortable. I still had a number of pros kind of being like, wait, are you on the record or off the record, Sean? Like, is this a, like, are we reporting here? And I just kind of had to call all of them down and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to expose you for your live thoughts. Right. Nick Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I've done a a couple caddy gigs also. And that's definitely like something that I feel like we each had to get out there as ground rules beforehand. Like, all right, you know, we, we don't want to be here affecting how you're playing during this round because you're thinking, Oh, am I going to be recorded or whatever? Well, yeah. Sepp Straka looked over to me and he's like, wait, do I have to behave? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm like, no, just be yourself. But like, also like, don't hate the media. We're not out to get you kind of stuff. Right. Um, but a really good time. Joel, admitted that he thought I did a very good job and that wow. and that I um he really could feel that I was invested which I feel is a very baseline expectation out of your caddy um yeah but, I mean it doesn't seem like that hard to it would seem like kind of a hard job to do if you weren't invested put it that way like yeah mm-hmm. that's when it would really sound like a job to me sure and also you are literally personally financially invested yeah totally because you know the better you guys do the better you do yep exactly so but to your point earlier how these situations can get tense like what if that is the sixth week in a row that joel and i are are playing together and we've made the trip over to scotland and spent thousands of dollars and and you suddenly on thursday you're like well crap we're out of it i gotta go through the motions of another friday round and like hope he careers it and shoots 65 like I can see how it can start to weigh on you, especially if you have family. What are we doing away from the family? Yep. Um, I don't know. It was just added a lot of context that we can skip over sometimes. How was your raking? Uh, good, not great. <laughs> there was one moment on the second day where I could feel Joel kind of like checking out my rake job. <laughs> he didn't hit into oh, a lot of bunkers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he like for entertainment or for like monitoring, he I doesn't think, want to get I shit don't think, from other players. Yeah, I don't think he had seen me rake a bunker yet and was just kind of making sure like that I was doing a good job. Um, he's a meticulous bunker raker himself uh, or ca- really cares. Like he really cares about protecting the field. During the first round, we're playing the 10th hole and he pulls a little, uh, basically a piece of like hay or straw from the fescue that was like next to his golf ball. And the golf ball like oscillated like a split second yeah. after he did that. And I was looking away for that split second and he goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, what happened? Yeah. What did you do? And he's like, my ball just oscillated. I think that's all that happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive that's all that happened. But 
I need to go tell Sepp. <laughs> so he crosses the fairway and he knows the rules as much as anyone and is a total stickler for the rules and makes sure that people like Daniel Berger at the players have the correct drop. Yep. Um, and so I kind of got that on full display as he s- completely handled the, the situation perfectly. Like there was a point where Sepp's ball oscillated on a green yeah. and, he, and he looks up and he looks right to Joel what do I do? What did I do here? Like, and I, so I don't know. It was, it was interesting to see, um, how that stuff can happen yeah. a- away from like so many cameras, right. you know, yeah, yeah. how these to- actual decisions get made when yeah. they're not on PJ tour live <laughs> to Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, exactly. So Oh, for two though, he, oh, looked, for two. he looked over at me at, on the eighth hole. What was so funny is we had three holes to play. We needed to play him in two in three under. And he says, Sean, it was a, it was a par four par four and a par three he's like we got eight strokes left <laughs> smashes a drive hits it to 20 feet makes the putt i'm like okay well now we got five strokes yeah. left let's hits, go yeah so lots of fun um shout out to joel who's now enjoying his time in italy vacay not a bad consolation prize sean no uh let's move on to the old course the we're reason here the reason we're here um we are probably half mile from the old course Pretty much every house in town is within a mile and a half of the old course. Makes it a extremely special town. Um, we just got ice cream. We just got fish and chips. We were basically hanging out, talking to writers, talking to players, talking to legends in yeah. town. That That's how an open at St. Andrews works. I'm curious for what your first day impressions are. All right. So, yeah, this is my first day in Scotland. First day, obviously, at St. Andrews. Um, I've been to one other open. It was at Royal Portrush in 2019. Um, and I am, it's funny. I'm like, I'm like cautious to be over enthusiastic about St. Andrews because (laughs) it's just, it's like so cliche. It's such a cliche thing to do, but it's just so cool. Um, the town itself is extremely charming it feels old. It feels historic. It doesn't feel stuffy in any way. Um, it just feels like a lovely summer town. There's a, a nice looking beach uh, right next to the course. The course is really integrated with the downtown. The downtown is more substantial than I thought. You could have a really nice time just walking the streets, going shopping, getting coffee. Um, so there's a lot to do in St. Andrews in the summer. Uh, and the way that the flow of traffic goes to and from the course is so cool. And then everyone also plays it cool. Like the people of St. Andrews are, have been looking forward to this and they really, really get jazzed up for it every half decade. But then they don't, you know, freak out that there are golfers in town or that there are, you know, some of their favorite golf media podcasters in town. (laughs) Instead, everyone just kind of plays it cool. They know what's going on. It's, you know, it's like the act like you've been here before sort of thing, because very literally this is the 150th open. Mm -hmm. These people have been here before. Yeah. It it is going to be a really fun week of just being visible, being out there, getting pints at every pub that you can, because as we saw, you know, Joaquin Neiman goes running by to catch his reservation for dinner. 
right after that, Katrina Matthew, the Solheim Cup captain, was walking by with a cup of ice cream. Shortly after that, mm. we see Thomas Bjorn talking to a media member on Market Street, and then we were passed by Sepp Straka, <laughs> guy who won a t- tour event earlier this year with his own ice cream cone. Billy Foster, Matt Fitzpatrick's caddy, the guy who helped win the last major, was going to get ice cream at Janetta's. Like, the town yeah. is just... it especially at nighttime because all the fans will come in during the day and they're coming into town on buses and in taxis and in their own cars. And then they have to leave because they don't have the place to stay. There's not that many beds in this town. We have a couple of them, um, but they're in extremely high demand and people are paying high dollar pounds for those beds. So when people leave, all it, all it leaves in its place are, the people who have a, who have a bed, the people who are writers, the people who are golfers and golf legends who are just looking for you know Indian food at night. Yeah, it, it 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 becomes uh, such a fun little like town wide gathering soiree. I don't know what a good word is for it, but it it's really cool. It's very cool. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of my what I was struck by at the course. I guess just that entire arena of the first tee um directly adjacent to the 18th green i mean i knew abstractly that that's what it looked like Mm -hmm. um but then seeing it in person was well think about it it's like you see a painting on the wall and you've looked at that painting in different photos Mm -hmm. like all the time and then it's in front of you in physical form you get to walk on it yeah and i think it feels smaller and sort of more intimate in real life like that distance across is it's all pretty small. It's extremely rectangular. Yep. It feels like you're playing in a college quad kind of because on <laughs> one row on you know to the right of the 18th fairway there's these giant stone hotels, mm-hmm. these centuries old buildings. Uh there's people hanging out and having a good time in those. And uh it yeah, and it's all just a perfect rectangular yeah. uh, corner of the property. There's no rough, all fairway. There's no rough. It's all fairway. I can see the the slopes. You can see much better in person how really the perfect line would just be riding the right side, the far right side of that 18th fairway and letting it bank a little bit left. Yep. Uh, but obviously that means you're bringing uh, out of bounds into play. So... I mean, it's so nuts that you can hit a tee shot from the 18th hole with driver, bounce it on the road, bounce it off a building that's been there for over 100 years, <laughs> and it kicks back into the fairway. You hit on, you make birdie. That's nuts. Only place in the world you can probably do that. Oh, that is interesting. I didn't even think of that. Um, Sean, the golf course is a racetrack right now. Mm-hmm. Had a nice chat with Lee Trevino uh, after the, ooh, what was it called? The... The champions celebration, celebration of, of champions. champions, I think today, which turned out to be way cooler than I expected. I think it's really easy to make fun of this stuff, but the RNA kind of nailed it with a cool mix of champions from their events, from different AM events, from like adaptive golf events, um, men and women, legends from throughout their history. Uh, but then the the marquee group was the final one, which was Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Lee Trevino. Uh, Georgia Hall, and then Jack Nicholas was sort of like their honorary observer. That's he came so to the sweet. first tee. He came to the uh, the 18th tee to just 
shoot the breeze and then took some photos on the Swilkin bridge. So, um, what got me there though, was after that tiger had, had said, Oh, maybe he would talk after the round. He didn't talk. Uh, but Lee Trevino was hanging around. So me and a couple other reporters went and talked to him. He was just beaming. It's funny. Sometimes he loves to talk. And sometimes if you want him to talk, he's like more resistant to it. I've noticed. Mm. Um, and he doesn't like to spill secrets that, you know, other people might not want him to share. So today he was just saying, Oh my goodness, it's going to be so exciting. He can't wait to watch for an interesting reason, basically because he thinks the course is so firm and fast that guys are going to be able to drive the green on several par fours, threaten the green on five different par fours is what he said. You can take that with a grain of salt. I don't, but at the same time though, I was out there on the second hole. Rory hit driver. It's 420 yards, I think, from where Where they were playing. And he had putter out for his second shot. Short of the green putter. Just short of the green. Where was the pin? Um, On top of that hill? Yeah. Did he get close? He made par, I think. I'm pretty sure he made par. Exactly. That is, um, you know, a very... It's visual to you and me because we know what it looks like. It's probably not great podcasting audio, but it is. Uh, that is where this golf course will defend itself. Like, yeah, of course you can hit driver up close to two, but if you fan two out to the, if you fan your tee shot out to the right, there are at least two bunkers that are are a full stroke penalty, and there's gorse out there, and yeah. like there's just enough of that crap that will ruin scorecards uh, this week. And um, Jack Nicholas was asked this afternoon, what do, you, what do you think, Jack, of the potential that people could shoot really low scores this week? It does, you know, the forecast looks sort of calm, which, again, it's probably too far out in advance to ask that question. And Jack said, I don't care. Like, so what if they shoot low scores? And I totally agree with him. I think you do as well. Like, if you go out and shoot 24 under, that means that you have gamed 600 par every single day. That's an average of 66 on the old course. Incredible. Yeah, kudos to you. (laughs) I think we're going to see a lot of interesting um, short wedge shots, half wedge shots. And then we're also going to see guys hitting driver playing aggressively and then getting themselves into some really weird positions Mm -hmm. and then trying to get out of trouble. And that's partly what Lee was saying. He was like, look, some guys are going to, are going to think their way around this course a little bit more and play a little bit more conservatively, try not to shoot themselves out of it on Thursday, Friday, you know, stay out of bunkers, stay out of the gorse, et cetera. Other guys are just going to go full send and, you know, take on everything and, you know, maybe you make an extra couple birdies and then you make a double somewhere and it, they kind of offset each other. Um, the firmness, sorry to interrupt, is something that I have been like just really slowly been quiet about all week. Mm-hmm. But like I've seen the old course in the beginning of June, the middle of June, end of June, beginning of July. I've seen it yeah. progress. And it was very firm when I played it in the middle of June when they shut it down. And then they they have not really they've not been watering the fairways but we had a little bit of a rainy stretch they've been watering the greens they've been watering the rough in certain spots like between 17 and 2 mm. where guys will hit their 17th tee shots into yep. Colin Morikawa played from the rough today 
and like chunked his approach like 25 yards forward. Hmm. Um, and so like there is enough defense and I've just been really quietly looking at the forecast the past 10 days, knowing that the last week San Andrews got like no rain, only sunshine, only wind. Like that is why it is a racetrack right now. Yeah. And we're not going to get any rain until maybe Saturday, maybe Friday. And so it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because it won't be completely calm. Yeah. It's funny. I was just writing a little story about uh, Trevino's comments and a couple different times he said he was talking about how hard the golf course will be and sort of had to clarify like hard here means firm and firm means yeah. easy and difficult, yeah. you know, in, in, in different ways. I mean, it means that you can hit irons probably 300 yards for some of these guys off the tee uh but then it also means you're going to require quite a bit of precision uh it's funny historically if you look at the the numbers the models st andrews does not traditionally demand much accuracy off the tee uh mm -hmm. that's just it's not one of its components and i wonder if it will demand a little bit more this week because you're gonna have to have control of your golf ball off the tee yeah maybe maybe a little more maybe a little bit more and yeah then, and then one last example of that was on the 18th uh which is drivable for right now everyone in the field <laughs> yep you and me too rory hit a high you know slightly softer driver that bounced up there um he obviously hits it further than tiger woods does but tiger hit a slightly flatter driver yeah uh that went down just Cut. left of the flag and it ran out. So hit Tiger actually went over the green. Rory was basically pin high on the green. And it's possible that we're going to see some balls go OB long Sweet. because it's so firm. And what they've done is that there is a slope there and there is some long grass there. Yeah. So there is kind of like a... a That's where Jack Nicklaus hit into. It's like, a little backboard, basically. Yeah, it is a backboard. But I have seen but golf balls roll in into there. Really hot. Yeah. And suddenly you're on a down slope from extremely unpredictable lie, chipping back at a pin that is uh, now it's sitting above a valley. You chip back through it, you play ping pong, suddenly you're looking at four slash five. It's just tough yeah. um, in its own particular special kind of way. So hope I, I, I'm really what I want is I want downwind on one into the win on 18. That makes the back nine play particularly tough. It opens up OB along the right side of the whole back mm. nine essentially. Yeah. That's kind of the chaos wind. Um, we don't know if we'll get that. Um, because it's so warm, it's probably like not the wind we'll get. But based off the people I've talked to, that's the wind that they prefer for protecting par. But we don't need to protect par. All right, Sean. What's next? What's next, Dylan, is a little bit of a discussion about inside golf. <laughs> inside golf is... It's a, a program at golf.com that we have told you about before. It is so cheap. It gives you so much access that you wouldn't normally get on golf.com. And part of that is what we do this week in major weeks. We bring you kind of behind the scenes. We do nightly write-ups, about 200 to 300 words, a couple of us, tell you something that we didn't tell you otherwise, that we didn't tweet about, that we didn't write up for golf.com. It's only going to you straight into your inbox. It's an inside golf newsletter. And that frankly is worth the price of admission yeah. alone. 
I think. I think that's some of the best work that we do the in newsletters are the magazine itself is there are sort of like four or five different components here that are each more than worth the twenty dollar uh, tag. So yeah. yeah, I mean, just go do it. Go make the purchase. Don't even think about it again. People can just go find it by uh, heading to golf.com slash inside drop zone. Golf.com slash inside drop zone. Go check it out. And then lastly, Dylan, I'd like to tell you about Fairway Jockey. I've got a couple questions for you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Fairway Jockey. Have you ever been fit for custom clubs? Yes. Have you ever been fit for custom clubs but haven't quite pulled the trigger on a purchase? Actually, yeah. The, you know, <laughs> this did happen to me one time. At fairwayjockey.com, simply upload the specs from that fitting and you can save up to 15% on those custom clubs. So like you get your specs wow. from some fitting. You can get fittings everywhere, but if you upload those specs at fairwayjockey.com, you can get 15% off those clubs. So, you know, if you're just trying to make your golf purchase cheaper. You can spend better. You can score better. That's at fairwayjockey.com. You just shop around a little bit, Sean. It's yes. good for people. What should we expect out of t-dub oh man um people's expectations seem to have settled in more realistic territory and Mm -hmm. including yours i think so but i i'm still as always i actually until i saw him today i was feeling slightly more pessimistic but i was encouraged by what i saw today i would say Um, i think there are just conflicting reports because yes what people said today they said he looked solid people said yesterday he's limping all over the place it's like totally and so the truth again probably somewhere in the middle probably somewhere in the middle (laughs) he does he's not walking well um he's definitely that's just a reality but the extent to which that really affects his golf game i don't know i mean i think that's the sort of thing that is easy for us and for him to overlook when he's playing well and then when you know things are going poorly and he's in more awkward situations and stances and all that we're going to notice the um the limp and probably negative body language more because that's just how humans work yeah that's how he's worked and it's how he works yeah so but i think as far i think from talking to people around him i would say this is the best tiger feels a lot better now than he did at the PGA championship. And I think you wouldn't necessarily know that just from watching, but from kind of hearing people Does describe he it feel better than he looked on Wednesday of the PGA championship. Yeah. I, okay. Cause that's the, I, I think there's this cloud of how he finished there Yeah, that no one can quite shoo away, but people were believing in him a lot after he shot yep. 69 in the second round at Southern Hills. Right. I mean, look, you're exactly right. That, the the question we won't really have an answer to our questions about Tiger until Saturday afternoon. Um, even yeah. if he does make the cut, he's he has not shown that he can play seventy two holes of golf. No, and that's the next hurdle for him. Um, it's funny, St Andrews, it's dead flat, sort but, of big but, picture. Yeah. It's dead flat, like if you zoom out. But on the ground, you got mm-hmm. speed bumps everywhere everywhere no you flat know, lies I, I played the course twice i've walked it i think six five or six times now this summer um and i did not realize until i ran the golf course mm. how many speed bumps there are because can you just imagine if your treadmill was just like going up and then down and then up and then down and then up and then down compared to being 
to walking on that. It's just so much more manageable when you're walking than when you're running. Now, for Tiger, what does that look like? I he think, is walking it, luckily. I know, but I think like the, I think the golf course, like Augusta National, are these more gradual but steep. Not steep. They're more gradual but like bigger hills. Yeah. And so you're kind of going in the same direction down the second fairway at Augusta, mm-hmm. up the first fairway at Augusta. This one, like your compass is kind of still at the same level, but you're kind of going slightly down and slightly up and slightly down and slightly up. And now you're on a bridge and you're going down and then up and then wait. Okay. That's just the first hole. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that means anything. All I know is that when he stands over the golf ball on the first tee, he'll be good. When he stands over the golf ball on the 18th tee, will he feel good? He'll feel worse. He has to feel worse. Like that's how it's working with this guy. And I guess just to to think a little bit more broadly and not predictively, we are seeing a Tiger Woods who's celebrating just being here to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's combining that with his preparation. I think that he, I mean, from the outside, it looks like he wanted to put his body through a little bit more uh, of an early week test leading up to it. Uh, because he got here on Saturday and he ended up walking 18 holes with Justin Thomas, just mostly just chipping and putting around the greens um, on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, he came out and he played 18 holes, tee to green with Justin yep. Thomas again, did a bunch more chipping and putting. I think in, until that point, he'd only played nine hole practice rounds at the other majors. Um, so that was a big step forward. Yeah, um, and sure. it, I guess big step forward, but I do want to highlight that Saturday night thing because I think it's, it's so, um, it's so out of line with the perception we have of Tiger Woods. The fact that he would be chasing darkness on the old course. It's, it's this very romanticized image of he and Justin Thomas and, um, a hundred some odd St. Andrews residents, just out there for the love of the game, basically uh, chipping in the darkness, like a, a couple, like a couple kids just yep. soaking up every minute of the mm-hmm. night summer air, Sean. I think um, we don't know what's going to happen in the tournament, but that image so far is definitely yeah. the one that stands that could, out to me. That could become Tiger's greatest memory from this week. It could be the memory that he literally thinks back to next year, five years from now is like, gosh, you know, Maybe I missed the cut at St. Andrews and I waved to everybody by crossing the bridge. Mm-hmm. But that Saturday night in front of like golf sickos and with JT, one of my best friends out here, like we got to do that at 11 p.m. Yeah. I, I, I imagine that'll at least be one of the top four memories of his week and it could be top one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there already have been a few pure moments and there's, mm-hmm. um, there was Tiger and Rob McNamara, his guy playing a match at Bally Bunyan after the uh, Adair Manor Pro-Am against Rory and his agent, Sean yep. O'Flaherty. And, and it was sort of like a buddy's trip feeling, like mm-hmm. checking off this bucket list golf course. Even Rory had never played before, um, even being from Northern Ireland. So, yeah, and then today playing with Lee Trevino and talking to Jack Nicholas, getting their photo together on the bridge and um, – He's doing a lot of ceremonial golfer stuff, and I think that we can appreciate that. We can also then uh, still want him to play well this week. But Yeah, I mean, he's already said it, but 
we don't even know when the next open in St. Andrews will be. It's Tiger Woods' yeah. favorite golf course in the world. And the next open in St. Andrews, he might just be playing the celebration of champions. Yeah. <laughs> he right he might be. And I know that that's something we don't need to think about right now, but it's context that will place every step he makes uh this week into yeah. just like more Some people clarity. are saying he's going to retire this week. He's, that's he's, bogus. He's not going to retire this week. Come on. <laughs> if you see that or hear that or any of your idiot friends Come tell on. you that, refer just, them to us. <laughs> exactly. Refer all of your idiot friends to us. Um well Rory's going to win. Oh. You haven't wow. heard that you haven't heard that from me much on this podcast. No. It just makes so much sense. This guy He's played such good golf this year, hasn't gotten that much out of it. Has gotten, I think, one victory this calendar year. I might, I might be shortchanging him. Hopefully not. Um, and he doesn't play in a in a the event before a major, and he's running out of time to to check that box this year mm-hmm. and make it make it a full eight years without a major championship. And what does he do in the run up? He goes, like you said, to Bally Bunyan with the goat and just gets himself right. Gets himself yeah. like the, the purest thing that he could possibly do. He's <laughs> going to give a press conference tomorrow, which is Tuesday, and it will all make sense for this kid who knows St. Andrews well. He's played in the Lynx Trust amateur event here. He's played in the Dunhill with his father. He's played in opens here and he's had success in opens here. I think he shot 63 in 2015, maybe the first round of the open here, uh, or maybe it was... 2010. I can't remember. Um, it was 2010. Either way, like Rory is, he's in the the best place I think he could have possibly been the Monday before a major. And so he's going to shoot 66, 68, and then play from the final pairing and hopefully just step on their throats. This is a front runner's golf course. I was looking at the guys that have won. They are, even after the first round, they're right in the mix for whatever reason. I don't. Except for Dustin Johnson in 2015. I don't know what to make of that. Who had a healthy lead through 36 holes and then shot 75, 75. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it you do want to be around the lead after the first round. Um I mean, just to just to tap my pat myself on the back a little bit. Last week I said, "Look, Xander Shoffley's going to win the Scottish Open and then he's going to win the Open Championship." One out of two so far. Yeah, he's got a, a Scotty Scheffler thing going on. What Scotty did going into By the winning. Masters. <laughs> well, I mean, we were we were here doubting Scotty Scheffler going into the Masters. It was like this is an unsustainable level of heat. Maybe this was me. I don't. Might have been a you thing. Uh, like. You know, he's going to come crashing back down to earth. You can't come in this yeah. hot, the hottest stretch of your career into, you know, the biggest tournament of the year and then stay at that level. But Xander has just been playing the best golf of anyone in the world over the best last Best golf few weeks. of his life. I think you can say that, right? I think so. Uh, I ran into him at, at Renaissance at the Scottish Open. What did he say? I said, hey, man, do you feel like you're the hottest golfer in the world? And it wasn't a cheap question. I was just curious for his mindset. And he had won the Travelers. He won the Adair Manor. It felt like he was starting to just like, okay, show the course to me. I'll hit it close and I'll win. And he said, no, I'm not the hottest golfer on the planet. I think that's still Scotty's title um, to relinquish. And then he won the Scottish. And so we're going to have to find him tomorrow or Wednesday and ask him if he now feels like the hottest golfer on the planet. Because I think he is. Lee Trevino thinks John Rahm's going to win. Yeah, that's okay. 
for context. He's the number three golfer on the planet. And my Uber driver, Sean, on the way in today, uh, he thinks Spieth is going to win. He said everything is lining up, and he's kind of right. Spieth played well last week, but not well enough that everyone is just picking him to win. Jordan makes enough stupid mistakes, in my opinion. Now, granted, stupid's a harsh word, but he Mm -hmm. finds himself in some stupid spots. And I think there's just enough stupid spots at this golf course that he's going to find a couple of them. And, you know, he did that. He did that in 2015, right? He four putted from a horrible spot (laughs) on a green uh, and, you know, kind of did it to himself a little bit and then hit, you know, hit a bad tee shot on 18 and didn't put himself in a good spot to make a birdie to tie. Um, And I just, that's what his game is kind of like right now. So, yeah, he could totally finish in the top 10, totally content. I just don't think he wins. If people are looking like further down the board, do you have any more creative investments, some sleeper picks mm. deeper on your uh, on your list here? There's a not-so-sleepy sleeper that I think people have gotten onto, which is uh, Ryan Fox, the Aussie who has just been torching the DP World Tour, basically finishes in the top three every single week. Uh, he was going off still at 100 to 1. I feel like that number has settled to something lower now. Um, but definitely have your eye on him. Uh, Sean, I'm, lo- I'm trying to think of where else people can find some value. Shane Lowry, it, not a not an underdog by any means, but still probably kind of undervalued. Tommy. Tommy Ladd. Tommy Ladd would definitely make a lot of sense. T4 last week. Sneaky, impressive finish for a guy who was playing the wrong wave. Or yes. The, t- the, the tough wave in Scotland or in, at the Scottish. Um, yeah, I'll put my uh, eggs in Tommy Ladd's basket. All right. right. Why not? That's a medium deep sleeper. <laughs> All right, Sean. Let's talk a little bit of... PGA Tour stock exchange because yes. I have uh, I have not slept for coming up on about forty hours here. So <laughs> no, you got a twenty minute nap earlier today. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I had a really really crucial twenty minute nap, and I actually had like I don't know half or two thirds <laughs> of a cup of coffee, and I never ever drink coffee. I don't really do you caffeine. Took, you took two six hour flights and you didn't sleep on either of them. No, I was, I was grinding, bro. <laughs> You're psych. You know what I did? I watched. Well, I was. Watched I was working. Did you watch James Bond? I was working. No, I. I, uh, I there was Yellowstone was available for streaming. I probably watched like eight episodes of Yellowstone, like kind of in the background, but just enough to really disrupt <laughs> so any happens? flow I had. What happens doing in Yellowstone? Work. What happens? Yeah, well, there's a bunch of cowboys just kind of doing their thing. Yeah. Real power struggle. There's kind of a. You know, there's some there's some live PGA Tour elements. Hmm. Are you relieved that we haven't really even talked about live at all this podcast? I really am. Huh. Yeah, makes you think. Yeah. Well, gosh, it's only Monday. Well, <laughs> I guess we can talk about it in the context of the moves that we are making yeah. in this PGA Tour stock exchange. Let's um, do that. Sean, can you update us, please? All right, on folks. The standings. It and has the been brief a, rules. Hopefully, you've been following along. If not. Like you won't offend us by bowing out of this episode, but basically we have invested since January in various PGA tour players as stocks. 
And I am in rough shape. Zoc Investments has gone from $100 of value down to $85.77. That's worst of the the of the quartet of uh venture capitalist funds we've got going on right now. Um It's kind of an American story right here, Sean. It's it's really the haves and the have-nots in this. Yes, very much so. So I'm in last. Luke Cardenine is also in the red at $89.95. We started with 100 and, you know, he and I have both lost double digit percent uh value. Colgan Financials, that's James Colgan um is in first place at about $143. He's improved by 40% plus. Yeah. That's impressive. And so have you, Dylan, the DeChair group, $142.31 on the back of Xander Shoffley's recent victory. So I mean, look, our GDP is growing here. Overall market size. That's a good point. Collectively we're up. Yeah. Um I Gosh, I think we should always be up if, unless we really suck at picking. Um, that said, um, the stakes of this matter. We never really outline the stakes, I think, for people. But basically, if if, if you finish in last place, you're you're forecatting for the entire group mm. in a in a uh, a future round of golf. Um, and if you finish in second to last place, you get to play, but you have to. Dress up however the person who finishes first would like you to dress up. So if I finish in third, I get to at least play, and Luke would probably be forecatting for the group, and you or James would probably get to dress me up in a skort, in Ricky Fowler head-to-toe clothing. I don't know, but uh, I would look pretty darn goofy, but I would at least get to play golf, which yeah, I think... You, I think you have a, a, some real potential in both, <laughs> both the, the Ricky outfit and the forecatting <laughs> role, I think you um, all right. So let's what are you just, doing? Are you shaking things up? What's going yeah, on here? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm certain that I will upset you with one of my picks. Um, but let's just get into it, folks. I'm selling all of my Steven Yeager stock. I held on to it forever. And, uh, I really believed in the guy coming off the corn Ferry tour and he just, just struggled all year long. Just nothing really good out of him. And I'm also selling Dustin Johnson stock because... Mm. There's your live golfer. He'll probably win this week now um, because he's good enough to, but he's not going to be playing for world ranking points anytime Live golf soon. investments is not a great <laughs> PGA Tour stock exchange investment. Um, all right. So I am with those, uh, with the funds there, I am buying up six shares of Brandon Wu. Hopefully Ooh. get to walk the course a little bit with him tomorrow. Uh, you know, we're just Instagram buddies. That's all. Are you? Yeah, just, you know, just a little bit. Um, He qualified into the Open through finishing high in the Scottish Open. So that is uh, good vibes from Brandon here in Scotland. Hopefully he'll, like, play in the FedEx Cup. Uh, I'm buying up three shares of one of the hottest players in the world. Feels like we're buying them high, but there's only big events the rest of the year. You want players that are playing in the big events. I'm buying three shares of Matt Fitzpatrick. Wow. Interesting. It is interesting because the guy's going to play well this week, right? Wouldn't you be shocked if he missed the cut? There's a few guys that, that I really expect to play well this week. Fitz, Spieth, Xander, yeah. Rory, yeah. Um, all yeah. among them. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, and I don't, I wrote this down. Like if Fitz, if he wins this week, is he player of the year? Whoa. Whoa. He had a phenomenal <laughs> year before the US Open. Yeah, I mean, he is. 
majors and he, matter. And then would would win two majors. You know, oh man, th- that's tricky because Scotty has actually had <laughs> such a dominant year, and he won the Masters. So yeah, uh, and we still have the FedEx Cup coming. Yeah. But anyways, it's an interesting thought. Uh, I'm gonna hold on to a couple shares of Speed Stock. That has been good to me, um, and I'm holding on to some shares of Gary Woodland. But I am reallocating some of that to buy up 276 shares of Tiger Woods. Oh, baby. <laughs> I don't think you're going to like that, mainly because I'm trying to like out. I'm just going to try to get more Tiger value than you currently have. Yeah. Um, and you've got a lot of it. You've got, you're currently at like 251 shares of Tiger, and I'm just buying more of it so that when he finishes T20, I'm going to reap the benefit. Flooding the market. Really flooding the market. But it, this is the best time to buy Tiger Woods. He's probably not going to play another event all year. He's down under 10 cents a share, I believe. <laughs> it's just, you have to buy him. Um, yeah, let's keep it going with a couple of messages from our friends, Luke and James um, from LKD LLC. We have a message. After a turbulent year in the face of strong inflationary headwinds and geopolitical trends that leads our portfolio uniquely exposed, LKD LLC is revising its year-end strategy to minimize risk. Oh, my God. That is really... <laughs> <laughs> That's the strategy you went the minimal risk strategy. Therefore, the chairman has chosen to exit its positions in Dustin Johnson and Keith Mitchell, has upped its stake in blue chip stock Rory McIlroy, and has added Justin Rose to the portfolio for sentimental <laughs> reasons. So LKD now has five shares of Tony Finau, five shares of Justin Rose, nine and a half shares of Cameron Champ, five of Rory, and four of Webb Simpson. Yikes. I don't yep. know what I foresee for <laughs> LKD LLC, but he's going to listen to this bright and early on Tuesday morning. He'll, he'll love that shout out. Uh, as for Colgan financials, again, the leader in the Q3 clubhouse, he's decided to sell off his shares of Brooks Kepka, which was not many. And he said, Please tell listeners that domestic fears of inflation, a.k.a. inflated value for Kepka, forced us to make this decision to shift assets offshore. He has sold Kepka and he's bought up Seamus Power. Oh. <laughs> is he a top 30 golfer? He is not, but James has Justin Thomas stock, Seamus Power stock, John Rahm stock, uh, Francesco Molinari stock, Will Zalatoris, and Davis Riley stock. Holy so cow. Yeah, he's, he's top heavy. <laughs> yeah. Dylan, let's hear, uh, let's round out this podcast and uh, let you go to bed. All right, Sean. I I really have been trying to go with a uh, calculating Bill Belichick style approach here. You know, kill your darlings, get rid of someone a year early rather than a year late, or in this oh, case, a quarter early. You're dropping South Tigala, aren't Xander you? Xander has been really good to me. Uh, I mean, just rode him through, and I'm, I'm going to regret this when he wins the Open this week. Oh, but my God. Dropping Xander. Oh, no. Uh also rode Will Zalatoris to the top last quarter, dropping Will Zalatoris. Whoa. And in their place, picking up Corey Connors, seven shares of Corey Connors, and six shares of Joaquin Neiman. Okay. Um, and then we are, uh, we're holding on, uh, holding on 15 shares of Scythe, who has just been a, an absolute cash cow all year. Can't ditch him. Uh, he's basically like the Tom Brady of my New England Patriots here. Uh, adding Alex Smalley and Scott Stallings. Okay. 
discuss so I can edit this. Yeah. Uh, basically just two undervalued stocks. What I did was I, I looked a bunch at who has the potential to play in the tour championship. There are some top pros who are uh, not going to be eligible because of their uh, personal live golf adventures. And um, Smalley and Stallings are two guys whose world rankings are a lot lower than their FedEx Cup rankings. So I just saw an opportunity there. Stallings is logged a few top tens wait 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 let's talk five starts so so how you can only have a maximum number of six stocks six stocks yep and so what are you doing with your patrick rogers and your andrew smotherman uh austin smotherman excuse me out out patrick rogers out sean all of this leads us to our final investment which is tiger woods uh slight increase in stock from 251 shares to 259 shares still slightly behind your position but uh you know that i mean all we're saying with that investment is essentially like tiger needs to finish in the top 30 this week all right so how many smally shares uh smally shares we have 20 shares of smally yep. at uh 118 yep 119 yep 13 shares of Stallings at 133. And um, yeah, I think that should get up to about 142.32. I got 142.33, Dylan. That's great math out of you. I appreciate the uh, astute numbers uh, and, and attention to detail. Um, folks, that's been it for the drop zone. We've- I appreciate all the listeners that have made the- made it this far. Yeah, 58 minutes deep. We appreciate you, and we probably won't talk to you until Sunday night when it's all said and done. I've got Rory, Dylan's got Xander. Kind of simple as that. Simple as that, Sean. Uh, I mean, we're fired up. I just, I'm excited to be here. Excited to see Sean in person. He's thriving. Um, I know people were wondering. Uh, St. Andrews has been good to the kids so far. So uh, we'll be writing stuff every day on, on golf.com. So check us out there. Um, Thanks for listening. See you next next week, I guess. See you next Sunday night.